0: Hi, and welcome to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, highlighting artists, teachers, authors, and entrepreneurs of the regenerative movement, people who are committed to and showcase qualities of planetary leadership. My name is Julian Guderley. I'm a transformational coach, a breathwork teacher, and I'm committed to a world that allows people from all walks of life to thrive. I'm your host and creator of Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. And in today's episode, my guest is Amit Pradhan. Amit is a seasoned startup founder, investor, and speaker who spends his time creating, evangelizing, and investing in the future of responsible AI and decentralization. He is a responsible leader of the BMW Foundation. He's on the Norwegian Refugee Council Board. And he's also the co-founder and president of the Silicon Valley Blockchain Society, a network of some of the largest investors, thinkers, practitioners, and creators with chapters around the world who are, Having one shared core mission, funding the revolution. And so that's what we're gonna talk about. Welcome, Amit.
1: Thank you very much. It's it's a joy to be here, Julian.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, we just we just started talking about it. What do you reckon is most required in this world of today to, you know, to embody this revolution that we're all talking about?
1: Yeah, I mean, wide, wide question, but I would say you know, we're, we're at, um, we've heard this now so many times, right? We're, we're, in, we're living in it interesting times. We've heard about, you know, what the new normal, where do we go from COVID times? And COVID in, in so many ways is is a is one symptom of, of you know, what we've been seeing fun, fundamentally, you know, wrong with, with the way that we've architected and we're organizing the world we live in today, right? Um, so like breaking it down, look at it from even a capital perspective, it's a place that obviously I play in a lot. Um, you know, if you look at the way that, that capital has inspired and, and been operated on over the past, you know, 40, 50 years, you know, take Silicon Valley, you know, obviously where I'm based, um, and you realize that, that a template that has worked well for the past that, you know, generated very interesting companies, very foundational companies, I think it created very interesting trend lines for how the world has started to operate and live, and and you know we can have a lot of conversation around whether that's good or bad, right? You know, think you know social media, right, and all of the afflictions that come with it. Um, but the one thing that really, really stood out during this period of time is investments made for timeline-based returns, based on portfolio structuring and mechanics, and. You know, that's how investments are made. Or then they're made driven by someone finding this cool, trendy new thing called X, right? So you can imagine AI, you can imagine when crypto became hot in 2017 and, and money is being thrown at it, as opposed to a really thoughtful thesis around what does this mean for humanity over the next 10 years? What does this mean for humanity over the next 50 years? Does this create deep foundations? for what will be built on top of it, as opposed to just saying, oh yeah, if I build the app store, then I will will own the economics of the categories that get built around it. And I think the biggest change now, many of us have been working in in trying to create a fundamental shift, a systemic shift from that approach to thinking, is that we've looked at the world now. Take a simple example. If you think about the future of capital, right, future of finance, mm-hmm. whether it's retail finance or whether you look at, at, at um, institutional finance. COVID shut everything down in a way that many people in the industry could not have ever um, anticipated or fathomed, right? Which then makes you realize the future of health is deeply, deeply woven into the future of wealth, right? about how it changed the way we're doing this you know in 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 another time we would have been sitting together somewhere having this conversation and yet we're able to do this quite effectively which means the future of health is deeply woven into the future of work right Mm -hmm. and so this wake-up call that the health of, of individuals the health of society the health of cities and the health of the planet Is so deeply fundamentally woven into the the health of how we see capital means that we have to think about capital in a really different way, right? And I think like I to your question, there's so many different parts to this, you know, we can talk about aspects, but just in the context of capital, we have to start rethinking what it means to deploy capital into an opportunity. And what the return on that opportunity means—not just for us as the people deploying it or the the LPs whose money we're we're deploying—but what it means for all stakeholders, which has to include, you know, the wider audience of the the planet, right? Mm. And and I feel I, I, I'm both optimistic on one hand, which is looking around seeing so many people that we talk to resonating with this view to how we solve for the bigger challenges of the future i'm also realistic enough to know that we often fall into the um the abyss of of our echo chambers because of how we operate, we do end up meeting people who operate in similar ways. And suddenly in our mind, it seems like, wow, look what's happening to this planet. Look what's happening to this world. It's taking off, like this revolution is underway. This mindset shift is underway. Everyone I talk to is speaking just like me, right? Mm-hmm. Or what like, you and I talk about. And the truth is, you know, do we represent the mainstream? Do we represent the evolving mainstream? Do we just represent some early innovators, or do we represent people being so caught up in our in our new value conversation that we think it represents the new whole? And and I,
0: I'm very. It's a great kind of counter question you're posing, you know, and I, I feel you there uh, in another episode. Um, that I recorded earlier this week. The concept that kind of came up was like, the mix of being the dreamer, the visionary and daring to, because it is very much needed, and also being the realist and being the grounder and, and challenging ourselves in our echo chamber. I think that's what I'm hearing there from you, this is like, that's very healthy and necessary and maybe often forgotten within the echo chambers of, um, yeah especially what what we we're calling regenerative movement now, you know' it's, I think it's clear that sustainability as a term has been too too lax. It, it doesn't really mean a lot. and then what are we sustaining in the first place right? And so regenerative, I think, the reason why so many people in in these in this movement and in these networks I think have the feeling that we're really up to something that's like the next step is because at the core of it. We've been practicing a worldview, a philosophy, a science and business and systems stemming from that worldview philosophy and science that are fundamentally about dominating nature, which I I would even go as far to say that humans at a certain point had to learn that so that we as a creature could live somewhat safely. But now that we've created the foundation of that, what becomes apparent is that just taking over more space in this dominant exploitive way is not going to be sustainable and it doesn't actually regenerate life which is what nature that we are a part of does all the time and so like i think that's why this step into regenerative culture even if we're just a small little satellite uh, of the mainstream at this moment um, is like a direction that maybe is not clear yet that it's going to happen but is really pulling attention uh, even from the mainstream saying like look when we align with biomimicry, when we align with the principles of that are present in the universe or in on this planet and in in the laws of physics that we can understand, then something else happens. Then a different way of making economics happen. Then a different way of building technology happens. Right? And um, I know that's 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 your forte is is the the space of, you know, how can technology actually support us as a species and actually. Help the most vulnerable and actually connect humans um, in a way that doesn't just perpetuate an exploitative kind of ideal.
1: A- absolutely. And, and you know, to that point, Julian, it's such a, a again, like tying this back a little bit to you know, the Silicon Valley example of, of capital, right? Because at least up until now. You know the largest um, influence from a technology perspective, certainly in the lives of, of of the average person, has come from you know largely Silicon Valley, um, or mostly Silicon Valley. And you you look at like all of these cycles of technology development, right? They've often come when 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 really talented engineers have found something new and realized its power and potential and and started building stuff around it, right? So even if you take the example of, you know, take AI as, a, as you know, obviously one of these big fundamental uh, examples. Most of the time, what you find is you find, you know, people who, you know, they're engineers already, they start getting into the world of, you know, machine learning and, and then graduate into the world of more, you know, sophisticated AI. And then they start building stuff based on what they have and what they've learned. And at at some point they build a tool that does something. And then they're like, well, um, great. We found AI, we built like something with it. Let's find the problem that this solves. Right. And, and like, it's so, it's so backward in the way of approaching and Silicon Valley is famous, notorious for this, as opposed to saying, look, take any vertical. It doesn't have to be, you know, always the lives of of the average person on the street. Take healthcare. Mm -hmm. You know, do you end up being two engineers sitting in a basement somewhere, found this amazing thing called AI and start building stuff and then go, hey, wait a minute, we can apply this to like patient records (laughs) as an example, or, you know, how it works within, you know, patients coming in, in in a hospital, as opposed to, like working in a hospital for for 15 years, seeing the insane inefficiency in, in the way that patients move through a hospital and then saying, look, this is a huge established problem. We need to solve for this, right? What is a good, sensible solution? What would be the ideal world of this being solved, right? And then exploring what is the most efficient, scalable, right, predictable, technology platform approach to solve for what we've come up with right mm-hmm. and so it's not technology for the sake of technology it's it's because technology is acting as a scale enabler right and so to what like you an say, agent for change yeah yeah like what what i love doing is recognizing that some of the largest challenges that we are looking to solve for right um must be solved by the people who are a looking to solve the big problems and b how do we bring and bridge that gap of these incredible advances in cognitive ai or the incredible advances in decentralization whether it's the underlying technology of the blockchain or whether it is the power of of the of the economics that we can unlock on top because of the blockchain right and how do we apply that to these Real world problems, right? And that's when we start creating a more effective way to think about using the innovation and technology. And so, like, t- take an example, right? So, um, like you mentioned, I sit on the board of the Norwegian Refugee Council. Mm-hmm. The NRC is a fabulous refugee agency. They deal with the lives of about ten million refugees a year around the world, right? And and they're what nrc is really good at is the really hard things which is going into the spots of most current extreme conflict right so they were their camps were servicing the refugees coming out of syria during you know the syrian crisis which Mm -hmm. still continues. right millions and millions of refugees Um, venezuela now has become a big hot spot so the camps in you know on the border in colombia for the venezuelan refugees coming in and like the numbers are staggering right in the the colombian camps 5000 refugees fleeing in every day 5000 is hard to deal with at the best of times now imagine having to deal with 5000 refugees coming in when it's covid times so already these camps are if you think of it a conceptual quarantine and now you need to figure that out, in addition to like the whole camp being a quarantine anyways. Their biggest challenge in these camps, um, refugees across all of these camps, of course, Maslow's level one needs are what they are designed to, to cater for, right? Safety, shelter, food, safe drinking water, etc. But one of the big challenges they have is around identity who are these refugees coming in, right? And so it's not even challenging that, hey, this refugee is Rashida, she is who she came, she is coming in from homes in Syria. She doesn't have any form of identity. Now, why doesn't she have identity? She left with her life, right? She escaped with no belongings, and or uh, her passport was destroyed. More likely though, she destroyed her passport because she doesn't want to be tracked by the Assad regime as she's escaping. Mm-hmm. And even in the fourth case where she comes to you, you're, you're, you know the camp administrator, and she comes to you and she has a Syrian passport. Awesome. She has identity. You have no way of checking if that passport is valid because you don't have a relationship with the issuer. Right? You don't recognize the Assad regime. In fact, if they found out that you exist and that you're harboring these refugees, you're going to be attacked. So there's no way of even looking at that document and saying this is valid. So how do you solve for that? You say, great, well, we're going to give you Norwegian Refugee Council identity. Okay, if two years down the road, for some reason, the NRC stops to exist anymore, the cycle repeats itself. Julian has an ID card. Shows up in Canada, you know, presents that card. There's no mechanism to validate that you didn't print that in your bedroom at home, right? Totally. So this is where um, decentralization, the blockchain, comes into play in a really brilliant way because you can create decentralized identity, and you can bring in all of the principles of self-sovereign identity, you know, privacy, consent, choice all of these things. And as long as the verification process is completed at the time of issue, and now your identity is in a secure public blockchain, if the NRC doesn't exist anymore, it doesn't matter because you have that ability to go into the chain as long as you give consent, I can verify that this identity is real and we're on and and moving. And so you can imagine, like I, I tell you this story because you can now extrapolate that across so many parts of this life on on planet where we can use aspects of AI. We can use aspects of AR and VR when it comes to the education. I mean, sticking with the refugee example, Mm -hmm. you know, education, bringing life experiences to them through, you know, um, through AR and VR, right? Um, Bringing them um, the ability to get, for example, uh, bank accounts, very hard to do if you're going to ask Bank of America or Standard Chartered or HSBC, but but with a crypto bank, totally different ballgame, right? Um, Suddenly they have the ability to to be able to transact, uh, opens up so many things for them, but you can't give them that account unless they have identity, right? And so you can start seeing how this all ties in, but we can solve for these big problems. And this is where I feel Silicon Valley has, you know, again, like we started with that example of how Mm -hmm. capital needs to rethink. It's the whole mindset. Look at what these amazing companies with so much money and so much creativity and so much talent can actually solve for, as opposed to giving you that next AI powered, you know, Instagram filter, right? (laughs) Who
0: cares? (laughs) I like that example too. It's, it's, yeah, but that's like the level of uh, silly almost, right? That we have so much creative human potential focused on creating another Me Too product of an image app or a filter for uh, not just Facebook and Instagram, but then now for Snapchat and whatever other iteration or TikTok or, or, or so forth, which, not to discriminate that, there is a playful place for all of these platforms too. But the examples you were making are so realistically grounded in some of the most. Uh, devastating, but also real uh, experiences that are still being had on this planet. And so in a way, and, and correct me if I'm reading this wrong, but in a way, what we're also saying here is not just is the, you know, the, the mind cloud of the regenerative movement, maybe in an eco chamber, and needs to consistently check our vision and our dreams with the realities, but the existing mainstream very much is in this position that it's just gotten used to a modus operandus that now through COVID, I think it's just very obviously challenged. Very obviously there are, Absolutely. you know, let's always acknowledge the pain and the suffering and, you know, the loss of family members that some people are going through. And there are some really, really amazing opportunities for a species to wake up to say, look, this can't go on forever. We, we have so much privilege on this planet. Now, how can we use this privilege mm-hmm. to actually, create trim tabs of change that allow the, like the domino effect to happen.
1: I I agree completely. And I think it also, like I would say, it's, it's partially also about realigning and repurposing incentives, right? Mm -hmm. Because I like how you say the trim tabs of, 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 you know, the domino effect of change, right? Because oftentimes what happens is, and I think this is a, uh, an honest criticism of, of our, um, mindset in our, our, our communities is that we, we tend to have fairly absolute purity tests in terms of, you know, how this world can change. Right. And it is, it is important to understand that this change is about bringing, uh, bringing those who, uh, who need to come along. Right. And so you can't, you know. I always say disruption is a collaborative sport, right? So yeah. destruction is a wonderfully individual sport, right? Mm-hmm. So if you want to take an anarchist hammer to everything, and you know, in many ways, the my my blockchain world has been like that, right? Like the, the crypto world, you know, began with a lot of you know anarchist sentiment. Um, but if you take a sledgehammer to everything, then there's just a lot of destruction along the way with very little yeah. destruction. Um, so I always say, you know, look, if you're going to disrupt the the uh, centralized finance world with a blockchain-based decentralized finance play, guess who should be at the table with you? You know, Credit Suisse and, and you know, Bank of America and the systems that need to change because if, if disruption can be done collaboratively we get well you're touching
0: on a very important point that i think has been left out of any revolution in the past of humanity the revolutions has been have usually been like think of the french revolution right like such beautiful and powerful ideals like uh you know just so driven by this ethos but then the embodiment of it was still overthrowing an old regime trying to get rid of it and just establishing a new version of it. And so in itself, this is a dissonant approach because it will never resonate everyone into that place of harmony where it's like, okay, now we're actually on board to say this, these new shores we're going to together. We're not clear yet how they look. And we're not clear yet how all the decentralized currencies will play together and all the decentralized approaches of identity will play together. But, but we're clear that we're going there. Now, when when everyone is on board from the, the old pharma industry, from the oil, old oil industry, You're also on the board with the BMW Foundation. BMW is an interesting example that has maybe held on to oil like quite a bit too long until Tesla came out of the gate. And then you can see, like, oh wow, that was quicker than we thought. But now it's one of those many companies that is, you know, driven by human people. And this is like desiring to change its identity forward thinking into this new space.
1: And they're doing a, I know you have a BMW history as well as so we have a company growing connection. up
0: in bavaria you know that kind of comes with the territory yeah
1: um but what what has really uh, impressed me is like you know dealing with the c-suite of the company just how open and accepting they are of of the conversations that you know you and i would have And there isn't like this, what is this language that you use that is so weird and so strange? And what are these terms, right? There's none of that. And I I feel that's the part of me that feels optimistic in this mindset of, you know, disruption is a collaborative sport, that Mm -hmm. we're seeing it. And sometimes the incentives are, let's just say that they're the non-ethical, they're the non-clean incentives, right? People are feeling market pressure, people are feeling, you know, environmental pressure, whatever it might be. At the end of the day, if we have just these incredible purity tests and say, you came along for the wrong reason, therefore don't come along and we're going to shun you and we're going to ostracize you, is, is a mechanism of not letting people come on on the journey. Mm-hmm. Right? And so sometimes if you think about it, uh, in, in the world of impact, you hear this a lot, and I'm sure you've heard this a lot already, there's a lot of focus on intentionality, right? I, I want to know what drives you to then come on this you know journey of transformation or where we're going, right? And my approach always is, I think like with life, things aren't actually in black or white. Things are actually in 50 shades of gray with, with slightly better penmanship. But if you think about it, you know whether whether people come on the journey because they have the right intentions and then they come on the journey, or because they come on the journey and then their intentions start to evolve. It's okay, right? Like let's not be have these purity tests and let's take people on these journeys. Yeah,
0: and you might you might see me um, you know uh, be a little triggered around the word purity. I, I can't really let that let that slip without mentioning it. I think that word, you know, if it's, you know, from a um, historic perspective of having grown up in in Germany, that is, you know, a country where, where a Holocaust happened, the word purity was used a lot, you know, when I grew up, that was a forbidden word.
1: Yeah. Uh, And
0: and I just want to presence that. And also in in Christianity, I think the word pure and purity has caused a lot of harm um, across the world. Right. And so um, I understand that there is a A light side of that word, but I think the better term to use is wholesomeness, because then again we're closer to, you know, um, thinking in systems, thinking in the planet as a living entity, thinking of as the planet as a wholesome, kind of like a finite bubble of resources floating in blackness, and and so. Intentionality, yes, I'm fully on board with you. Intentions change and it's important that they change. And so someone might have, you know, had the intention to just make money because that's just what they wanted. But now they're suddenly on board to realize, hey, like, why don't we just create money with creating good for people and planet? Mm. But I think what is important, and this is what what I've been exploring in this podcast ever since is, is there a level in which we can acknowledge that we're on a shared journey? Because you used the, the word journey, right? So. Recently, I had a dialogue with Ron Garan, who was, you know, privileged to be in space uh, on the ISS for 170 days plus. Yeah. And so that perspective gets it really quickly. Like, yeah, we're on this blue pale dot together, like, no question.
1: Absolutely.
0: And so that, that's something that, I, you know, boggles my mind ever since is, is it actually possible? And I'm not saying that to get every human being and every entity and every company onto the same page. We don't need to be on the same page but are we are we working on the same saga that is the saga of planet earth right or the same journey that is the the journey of planet earth around the sun around a black hole because that's what's actually happening if we like it if we acknowledge or if not but once we were able to acknowledge that together now i think a lot of what we're creating and how we're creating it and how we're able to change dying paradigms and change you know the the archaic so archaic seeming uh, when you 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 know you jump from one country to another like i have in the last decade the archaic bureaucracy that is still alive the the bureaucracy that is only alive because it is what we know you know um so i think that there's a there's a, a potential there not to have a purity that we're sharing or an intentionality that we're sharing but to just recognize life itself on this planet is interconnected there's no question around that.
1: Yeah. Oh, without without a doubt. I, I love the uh you've probably heard this before and shared it before, but I love Ramdas's um quote on this, right? We're all at the end, we're walking each other home. But I but I think that that in so the challenge is, you know, you're sitting with the investment head of a large, you know, $30 billion fund, or you're sitting with the CEO of a $30 billion company. And I think at a personal level, you can have this conversation, and they will resonate. You know, we are walking each other home. You know, this is a a, a collective journey. Um, you know, after all, we're just this blue dot. If you can, you know, zoom out, right? Um, and then they very quickly start putting on that. You know, I have a quarterly uh, report result to file. I have LPs who I'm answerable to for these investments. So I heard that this you know, Facebook is going to likely acquire this kind of technology, so let me put money here, as opposed to, you know, focusing on, well, wait a minute, we can solve for these much larger, bigger problems. And they're a big part of the, the way I think in my conversations with them is often, um, I'm not going to lecture you or anyone on why that's the wrong approach, but what if you explored a little bit of hybrid thinking, You know. Would would you agree that, for example, the best returns on any investment, capital, time, effort, brand, etc., come when you create a net positive impact with the market that 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 product serves, right? And you can take so many examples. Like look at uh, look at Salesforce. Salesforce is a great example yeah. of a company mm-hmm. that, you know pioneered the idea of this, you know, no, no software it's a CRM play basically. Um, you know, you've probably been exposed to multiple CRM systems over, over your career anyways. And I, I haven't met one person who says, yeah, Salesforce is the best CRM out there, right? Like there's so many other CRM systems that have different aspects that work better. And yet, you know, you look at the, the way people see Salesforce as a company, the way people see Mark Benioff standing for some of the biggest challenges of planet Earth, putting time, effort, money—sometimes it's not just money—it's massive influence, right? He has the bully pulpit, and he takes every opportunity, even if it's a keynoting at Davos, to not talk about the old world, not talk about you know quarterly earnings, not talk about that mindset, and think about the bigger challenges, right? And so, if you think about where do you want to put money, Julian, if you had allocations to make in companies that create long-term net positive impact on humanity, where people will still use your service and you know talk about it with great joy and influence and bring people on, or people who are constantly whining and complaining about what you built, or because the CEO is, you know, is is this you know toxic male culture espousing. Um, And, and the answer is never, Oh no, no, we'd rather do that. Right. The answer is always, yeah, sure. This makes a lot of sense. So, okay. Well, if that's the case, what is preventing you from doing that? Well, what's preventing you is you're into year four of your fund Mm -hmm. and you only have three years left in which to return X amount of capital to your LPs. And so you're making decisions contrary to what is
0: based on the capital. And the capital yeah, gains uh, structure rather than, than the,
1: exactly. the
0: long-term thinking. So I like what you're saying there about hybrid thinking and like finding ways to have this meet, right? And so this is one of the carrying kind of intentions with with me starting this cohort of people I'm interviewing and like seeing where this leads me and what's emerging through it is because I really believe unless we take this on and bring this more and more and more into the context, it's... It's going to continue to be difficult. You mentioned Mark Benioff and uh, Davos um, a few years ago. That, that wasn't this year. I think it was in 2018. Uh, I happened to be at a, a, a Davos Salesforce lunch, um, headed by Mark Benioff, who you know did a fantastic job, and some very famous people on the panel. And he asked the question, "What do you believe five years from now? What do you believe ten years from now? Like, what do you see?" And you know, from left to right, it was like. Um the CEO of Siemens, um, the CEO of Google Cloud, Al Gore and with his personality, um, you know, uh believe a time exchange platform, and then will I am. So it went like from all the way old school to all the way creative and 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 new paradigm. And I remember most from this entire conversation that the CEO of Siemens said, All this is Guten schön, you know, he's a German guy. So I remember it in German, even though he spoke English in the interview. (laughs) All this is good and and well. However, I'm the guy who has to go back home after this panel with all of you and make a decision for hundreds of thousands of employees. And if I just make the decision based on what's gonna be the, 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 the best direction for the 20, 50 year timeline, a lot of these hundreds of thousands of people will lose their job tomorrow. Yeah. And I can't make this decision with a with a with a you know with a confidence in my heart and so that was a moment when i realized oh wow i don't fully agree with him but i totally agree with the sentiment there because that is very very real for the hundreds of millions of people that depend on their job because like of course i want all of these people to be in full expression and not need their job anymore and maybe there's a universal basic income but again that's the dreamer dreamer and where does that meet the like the realist who grounds us into today's experience and circumstances like covid maybe challenges in a positive way because now we we realize oh wow not everyone needs to go to a workplace most of us can actually work from home and so little progress is possible but unless we're i believe encouraging and empowering the regenerative bubble to become the mainstream bubble and at the same time supporting and empowering the old paradigm institutions, if it's Siemens or the the oil industry or the pharmaceutical industry to not just loosen its grip, but to s- s- slowly and steadily, and then maybe at some point fast and steadily shift in a way that is not gonna get them out of business and have hundreds of millions of people lose their job. Because even though this, some people might say like, well, it's, it's time for that and that change is just needed. In theory, I'd agree, but in reality, that's not going to create any good ripple we want.
1: Absolutely. And, and look, the, it's so interesting, right? So on one hand, he has to look at it and say, I am responsible for the short-term jobs of 100,000 people, right? And, and therefore, that hybrid model is so, hybrid mindset is so important. Equally is important that, is he also responsible for their jobs five years from now? And if he was, whether with, whether with Siemens or anywhere, right? And if the answer is yes, then if you were the CEO of Exxon Mobil, it, you would have to be uh, not in your right mind to recognize that if nothing changes in the way that they approach the industry, that those 100,000 employees will not have jobs five so years down through. the road,
0: if you stay in the same industry in the same way
1: and so the power is to then look at both and say we need to do this bmw needs to continue making it can't replace every gasoline powered vehicle with an electric car tomorrow there's a whole bunch of practical reasons why that can't happen and yet if you don't think about clean energy and you don't think about it not just in terms of the car but in terms of mobility for the planet overall then guess what? The same challenges you would face by turning off all gasoline production today, of losing, you know, capital, uh, uh, you know, having to to lay off, you know, thousands of employees. The flip will happen anyways, five years from now, seven years from now. Mm. And so smart companies will say, yeah, we need to look at a hybrid model, and we'll get there. These are journeys. These are not flip switch uh, flips.
0: If they're not. They're not light switches. They're journeys. And. I think what's interesting there is you say a smart company, and now the the question of governance comes in, right? So we have a country like New Zealand, we have a country, I mean even Germany in some ways it's still pretty conservative in the way it is introducing the subsidies for green uh, evolution and revolution. Or we have countries like I believe Wales as well, and then cities like Amsterdam that are like introducing donut model economies as a city that are bringing in like um, New Zealand, you know, has taken Bhutan's idea of the um gross ha- happiness into well-being and now well-being is a very all-encompassing metric so i think governance that creates those on-ramps into sustainable and then at some point regenerative practices are absolutely required mm-hmm. yet if we look at the state of the world and you know you live in the united states i live in canada um, we can't really wait or even hold government fully responsible because as long as we're operating, like in the States, it's very obvious. As long as this current electoral system is active, Mm -hmm. you'll probably just have a bunch of powerful people trying to go for power because that's what's being asked for. And so the system itself needs to fundamentally evolve, which that pathway isn't quite yet visible, at least to me.
1: Yeah, you know, I I would say this, you know, people often ask what is what excites me the most about the the blockchain space, because you know it's always been, you know, Bitcoin was at twenty thousand. That's what was exciting to people, and then suddenly you know you're looking at, you know, uh, uh, the the evolution of you know Ripple is doing so well, and and, and so people often ask, like, what's what's what really excites you, right? And and of course you know like the example I gave you with decentralized identity for the refugees. That's very exciting, but I would say the biggest gift is not Bitcoin, the biggest gift is not the blockchain. In many ways, the biggest gift is the idea of a consensus model, right? Bitcoin has proof of work. There are lots of challenges around that. We're moving to a proof of stake model that's changing the way I've seen crazy uh, models of consensus in in the different companies that have come to us. (laughs) I saw one that was proof of love. And it's a beautiful sentiment, and I want to hug you, but like let's be practical as well. You know, how does that reflect in, in in the consensus? But the reason I bring up consensus in the the question that you were asking around governance is I think that fundamentally changes the way we think about any form of governance, not just in you know, in in a blockchain system, in a company, but but overall in society. Because if you think about but like even, even in the best of democracies, right, we have like this crazy static form of democracy. You buy into a Trump or you buy into Biden, you buy into, you know, uh, Angela, whatever it might be. And then for the next four years or in some countries, five years, you know, you step out of the democratic process. You let them govern, you let them decide what they do. Most of the time, it doesn't continue to align with you because they change, you change, whatever it might be. Very true, yeah. How is that democracy? Liquid democracy is clearly going to be the future and liquid democracy can only work if we have participation. How do you make participation easier? Like we we should be able to participate with our devices. And how do we participate in the things that matter to us over those four years, not just during the election, right? And the consensus model that a country, a nation or a non-sovereign group of people adopt which becomes the way that they agree on something being passed or not. So it's not just popular vote or minority veto or whatever it might be or electoral colleges we have here in the US. Um, You have an agreement on how something can happen. And even if that means do we switch from cheaper but but dirtier uh, electricity in this little county to completely green but more expensive you know, who gets to make that call? It should be everyone who participates, who are the stakeholders in making that happen, right? And so this is where I feel, you know, again, going back to our original thesis, that there's so much to apply from the evolution in technology, but not for technology's sake, for these big Mm -hmm. challenges, right?
0: In service of our species, in service of our planetary experience here together.
1: Yeah. And if you, if you see you know, extending that thought um, like we touched upon that earlier, when you design therefore for it, you know, there's the, the, the concept of my friend Charlie Kleissner, who I mentioned to you earlier and he's, a, he's just a wonderful human, big impact investor, thinker in the space. and you know he's deeply driven by the principles. he keeps talking about deep ecology. you know, deep ecology's principles are that the center of the universe is not us, the human right it's the ecology and you touched upon that earlier Um, and so when you design as opposed to opposed to saying i'm designing this product for my target market which is julian right and so everyone that's like julian is my target market Um, two things that i i try and change mindset in in people thinking one is don't think of julian as your target market in your mind reframe that to being the human you serve Right? Because if if you, if I think of you not as a user or a customer or my target market or my target market segment, and instead I think of you as the human I serve, then imagine if I was an airline company, would I be okay with keeping you on the tarmac for three hours in the heat because it saved me money not bringing the plane back to the gate? If you're my user, you're my customer, you're a passenger sure. If you're the human I serve, whoa, wait a minute, just the sentiment can permeate, right? But now imagine instead of just the human you serve, if it was the ecology you serve and the human is one part of that ecology, how do you design your product? How do you then design the company around that product, right? And so if you start thinking in those terms, even as an investor, then do you just ask the questions of, What problem are you solving? With what team are you solving it? Show me your execution plan. Show me your marketing plan. What traction have you received so far, right? How much money do you need? Imagine those being the standard questions and those evolving now to understanding, tell me your ecological impact. What is it that you're able to do? Which humans do you serve and how? How do you serve the ecology around those humans? Not because you're a good person and you're, you know, the kumbaya tree hugger. It's because that's where you get the best long-term return on your capital, right? And so if you yeah. reframe the way that that we think, you know, again, I'm, I'm you know, I keep going back to the capital uh, piece of it. But if we reframe that mindset, um, I think we we change not because it's the right thing to do, but we change because it is the most beneficial. Thing to do
0: absolutely I, I, I mean I'm, I'm taking two really core topics that came up in this conversation um, kind of with me already as well which is one, one is we as a species get to ask better questions to how we're living right which is which is simply understanding that every process that we're in if it's economy if it's governance if it's It's an ongoing living experience. We're actually in an evolutionary experience. Mm. And so I think that's not really clear in a a lot of ways we do business or we, we, we govern currently. It's like, because power and the financial structures exist the way they do, there's a lot of holding on rather than continuously evolving together. And I think this is something that needs to be very much stewarded into existence or guided into existence at this point of our evolution. And I've heard this through a lot of the things you you said in this in this interview and the second piece. And this is, you know, for everyone who who totally digs the first piece that, that we've been talking about. Our roles as evolutionary revolutionists or however we want to call ourselves. I mean, everyone has a different role, but what I'm what I really heard you say is Be ready to be a bridge or a hybrid thinker so that there is a chance for the old to unravel and re-energize or to on ramp into the next paradigm, rather than having this dissonance approach of we need to break this, cut it, make the old die. Because part of the dying process in nature, like think of, you know, our friends, the fungi, the mushrooms and the mycelium is it grows over a living then dead organism and then recultivates it and composts it. And then something new birth is out of it. There's not a dead gone next kind of process, but it's, it's an organic process that, that turns, you know, old into soil for new. And so that's another metaphor that I, I really feel is strong in your message and is so encouraging and empowering that there's actually hope and there is optimism.
1: That's a beautiful way to capture it, Julian. And, and like, ecology is what you're describing, right? That is how ecology works. Um, and it's, it's also important, you know, I would say kind of the, the last part of my message has always been, um, you have to show and practice what your- Participate, yeah. Right, you know, and so whether it is with, with capital and how you choose companies and investing companies or how you're helping guide them, if it's in the projects that you create, you know, I think I've mentioned to you before, um, I created Rainfall. Uh, about, uh, you know, the the effort started a few years ago, but Rainfall is the idea that we revisit how we think about the intrinsic value of a human, right? From, from scarcity-based resources of land and the oil that might be under it, or minerals that can be found from it, or what you till, to the fact that we now that land concept has been replaced by our digital footprint. Right, and so when we think about the copious amounts of data that we're all generating, how do we, you know, find the right way to A, create value from that data? Raw data by itself doesn't have value, but you know, the power of AI. You know, going back to how do we use technology for, for good? You know, use the power of AI to ensure that you can you can create you know deep contextualized value from that data, but give sovereignty to the user to decide. I want to be able to share it. I want to not share it, who do I share it with, what categories of companies, you know, and therefore, if there is monetary gain to be made from that, it needs to come to me, right? And so Rainfall is this project that uses the latest in cognitive AI, uses the blockchain, uses, you know, a, a currency they call raindrops to create this ability using fully automated AI to generate value and deliver the value back to the users from the new resource, right, which is abundant because it's not finite, data can be generated constantly. And so in many ways, um, you, know, you want to be able to show that these are not theoretical things, you know, that we can you know, solve for these problems, we can use technology. Where is the proof? And the proof has to be delivered by all of us all the time as well. And I feel like that combination you know, allows us to bring people on that journey in the hybrid model because they can see that you're not just sitting there lecturing them on a conceptual, beautiful world utopia, but here are here are the paths to it. We can all do them and there are there are huge incentives aligned with it. Um and, and that to me is, you know, in a small way an important important way to to I,
0: I love that message, Amit, I think this is a, a great kind of closing note for our conversation today. And I feel like we'll we'll have to have another conversation one day to go deeper into your story and also some of you know the more personal uh, Anecdotes, um, but it was it was a great uh, exploration there, and I, I love this closing note as like you you listening, and, and obviously this goes for me as well. Let's continue to partake, participate, show up, embody, because really, like we also live in and this could set us up for a whole other hour of conversation. But we live in a world where, you know, getting something, understanding something, seeing something, and keyboard worrying warrioring around that, uh, for some people is is like. You know already enough but really it's like getting up from that place and then partaking and then showing up for the initiatives you believe in and then showing up for if that's technology and ai or if this is uh, refugees and, and and social integration or if this is political systems or or currencies whatever it is for you personally partaking you know will stop any old outdated uh, agenda or um, way of operating and will turn it into the world that we're actually desiring because we need many good people to partake in this
1: yeah i mean as buck buckminster fuller said right we are called to be architects of the future not its victims um and and you're right you know we, we have to partake um so well, this was so fun julian thank you for thank you so much amit thank you with you is always so much fun
0: Thanks for listening. And here we are again. This is your host Julian. I hope you truly enjoyed this episode of Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast and received some insights and knowledge for your life relationships and business. If you love Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, make sure to subscribe, leave a review that really allows this podcast to reach a broader audience and share it with a friend. Let me also remind you that this podcast is currently entirely self-funded I'm a transformational coach and mentor, a breathwork guide, and want to offer all my listeners a full 10% off my private coaching work. That is as much as $500 for a three-month program, and this discount applies for all one-on-one coaching offers, as well as some select coaching groups that I host in person. If you're curious and interested, make sure to visit the website greenplanet-blueplanet.com and click Work with Julian. Let me tell you a little bit more about my planetary purpose and leadership programs. I am committed to accelerating our human tribe, going deep into unconditioning the blocking beliefs and blind spots, enabling your gifts and clarity to amplify for aligned business, healthy relationships and overall presence with life. I have worked with hundreds of people across the world, either one-on-one in small coaching groups online or in person at events. It is my gift to boost authentic confidence and guide you while asking the deepest questions that get you to address your dormant potential. I am an activator and catalyst for those who are ready to step into the highest version of themselves. We live in unique times and let me tell you from experience, having a coach makes a massive difference. I specialize on supporting successful entrepreneurs in unpacking their purpose and joy of life. I do work with startup entrepreneurs and artists as well and on request, I host individual breathwork mentorships. If you want to learn more how to support the show or suggest a guest, you can also simply send me an email. If you want to take advantage of the offer I just mentioned and claim the 10% discount, simply book a free consultation with me through my website, that is greenplanet-blueplanet.com mentorships and mention the end of episode discount and I'll give the discount code to you right here, right now. It's 808. That's right. That's your code right here, right now, 808. Mention it to me in our free consultation that you can book by the website, and 10% are yours. That being said, thank you so much for listening today. Have yourself an amazing day. Don't forget to hit subscribe, review the show, and share it with a friend.